All right, welcome to Sky Sessions. This is the podcast about all things Skyweaver. We will be talking meta, decks, cards, news, and strategy. With me is the very talented and intelligent Cytus. He knows more about the game and the game state than most devs. He develops the weekly meta snapshot and has the highest level statistical and strategical understanding of Skyweaver. Also with me is Just Add Bacon, one of the most knowledgeable players with some of the most in-depth analysis of the game. He writes game articles and is the founder of the Fox Fang Guild. And I am Blank Candle. I stream Skyweaver four to five times a week. And I'm, I'm just be happy to be here in the conversation with these guys, given the opportunity to learn. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Um, let's get into it. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Cytus? Uh, so I just finished an online shogi tournament and I failed to win it. So uh, I already consumed a lot of brain power today, but I'm ready for the brainstorm in this podcast. You're telling me it's the first podcast and you've already soiled all of your authority? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the very first Sky session, so... Uh, if you're listening, we're just getting comfortable. We're just figuring it out. We're going to start today by talking about the meta. Our We'll get straight data first, and then we'll kind of get our interpretation of it. We'll do some card analysis, do some mulligan analysis, talk about what we like and don't like in the game right now, probably touch on the new Hexbound Invasion cards that have been revealed today. Um, just kind of that kind of stuff, so bear with us as it's our first one, but I hope you enjoy it. Uh, what do you have to bring us, Cytus, about the current meta? So, uh, I have been doing meta snapshot solely for ranked, uh, for patch 105, because uh, we, we've been seeing the most diverse meta ever in this patch uh, on ranked. But uh, on Conquest, it's not so much playable decks. So I would call it a, a, a rather binary meta for Conquest. That's why we are focusing on ranked more now. So uh, if it has been three weeks since the release of patch 105, and 90 hundred of ranked game has been played. And from this game, around 15% of the game is Fox Metal, and it has a really decent win rate of 59%. And the best decks are all related to Strange Prince, and, and they are kind of uh, new archetypes. So the five decks of the most win rate is Adalu, Mira Anima, Titus Agro, Horik Lu, and Zoidu for the moment. The Wisdom decks has been performing poorly after the Gigabrun nerf, and despite being uh, very popular, CT decks actually is of the wor worst win rate ever. So we have CT death with 48% uh, average win rate, and CT cheat with 45%, and CT strong with 40%. Lower, Cytus. We need to take them lower. <laughs> Hating on my bay city? Yes. Come on. Uh, I have a question for you, Cytus. You do all this analysis stuff, and we try and categorize decks. So you said yeah. 
Zoe Zoo, Horik Zoo, uh, what, and the other zoo decks are doing good. Can you describe what exactly makes a deck a zoo deck? Uh, so uh, there are two kind of zoo strategy, in my opinion. So the first kind of zoo deck is just uh, to go as wide as possible. Uh, but if you just uh, focus focusing on going wide, you might run out of the card, right? So that's why we usually like to run uh, a type of, of unit, which is called floater. A floater unit is that either it gives you something to your hand uh, as it's been played. Uh, for example, Ghost in the Heart Prince will give you a songbird as part of its summoning effect. And another type of uh, a floater is it comes with a death effect that draws you something when it dies. For example, Crypto and Shade with the Fate. So you don't lose too many resources uh, if your opponent happen to have an AoE spell as an answer. Uh, another type of loot is uh, it still try to go wide to a certain degree, but not as wide as possible. But rather they focusing on buffing units such as uh, from uh, like Bone of Natos, uh, Bio and Dirge, or some triggers such as Inspire Effect of Shoguns. So there are these two types of decks that we will call it Zoo. Oh, thanks for the insight. So uh, what you, you call, like for example, Zapita, that's a floater card? Yeah. So the, the buffing kind of Zoo, is that also running um, floater cards or just more focused on the buff specifically? So I've mentioned that Strange Space Blue is very popular in this patch. Uh, the biggest reason is Shogun got a really big buff, buff in patch 105. Uh, it's a fact uh, got changed to uh, Inspire God uh, and gain plus one plus one. So if you play Shogun with leftover mana, you can add some God unit, which will buff the Shogun. Uh, this is one kind of buff buffing strategy that focusing on uh, inspire effect or aura effect on a specific unit, and you can also do so from, uh, for example, Titus Aggro run the Aqua Sword, so you can buff with any unit, and this is a single target buffing, so you don't have to go really wide because uh, you only need to have one unit on board to be able to buff it. So there are other uh, type of blue decks that need to go a bit more wide, such as Horrid Blue, because uh, you can run, for example, Mushroom, and you will summon a Fungi, which uh, give all of your unit plus one plus one when it dies, or you just run uh, some uh, board wide buff, such as Bio or Dirge. So this these two kind of decks re are really performing excellent in the current ranked meta because it is kind of very board based meta uh, in recent patches i would say uh, the main reason is probably because there are less western decks uh, which run something like overdrive seal of dumps and when for example which destroy your uh, zoo strategy so when they are gone, blue decks are really seeing a great spot in this meta. That makes sense, absolutely. What are your thoughts, uh, Bacon? Like, How do you feel about zoo decks and how do you feel like they're doing right now? 
Uh, I feel like Silas has a pretty good description of Zoo decks and how they generally work. Something I want to highlight about how buff spells interact with Zoo decks is that generally your buff options, things like a Nurtured Bond, Dawnblade, hell, even Stonefist, they're generally balanced by the fact that buff options like that tend to be what are called minus ones. You kind of play them, and then you're just down a card. <laughs> so you've got to try and make up value elsewhere. Buff cards can still be very strong, because they put immediate stats on board, but you also need to have like units to use them. And also, if I just buff a unit, swing in for a little bit of damage, and then you immediately kill it, well, I've invested a lot of resources, and that's lost. Zoo decks are able to kind of get around that problem, because they get their units a lot more efficiently, especially something like, suppose the turn one, like, Shogun Nico opening just gives you a 3-5 and a 1-4 with Guard and Lead on turn two, because you can just, like, mana potion that out. That is already very hard to answer, considering how much health those units have. You slap Aqua Sword onto one of those things, and it's a very safe investment, because you've already got a lot of stats, and whenever you have all these other, like, swarmy options that Sidus mentioned, things like, uh, well, Gus and a Songbird make a perfect example, you kind of spread out the value. So that's kind of why those, like, buff options tend to work well with Zoo. I'll also agree that, yeah, the lack of wisdom definitely helps Zoo. Normally, you can kind of swamp out those decks with things like Nurture or Nature's Graft, or my personal favorite, and by favorite, I mean I hate this card, Whelm. Whenever those things aren't around, those are some of the biggest checks for Zoo decks. A lot of people are pretty negative feelings towards Whelm, but that is because it is such a good counter, and it's such a good counter to such a specific thing, low-cost units, that decks that their whole goal is low-cost units that can really screw up their whole plan and it also puts them back in your hand which usually if you have a big board it makes you overdraw it can be really frustrating for players that are trying to you know build value build into upcoming turns and now their turns are screwed up and they don't have a board anymore i understand but it's yeah it's a check like you said and once um you see less wisdom you see less well you see less overdraft you see less nature's bond and it comes out to eat <laughs> yeah Another another aspect to consider is that uh, when you are playing a zoo deck and the game de develop into mid game, uh, you are expecting to face against AOE spells that deals like uh, 3 damage or four, 4 damage. So you would really like to buff the weaker units to uh, above the AOE zero hole. So, even if your opponent plays some kind of AOE spells, uh, some of your, your units will survive. But that's not the case for Quinn, because Quinn does not care how much you buff your nope. unit. <laughs> you just return whatever to your Nope, end, it's right? whelmed. So I really... Yeah. That's a good yeah. point, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that, that's one of the things that makes it frustrating for, like, uh, Mira Will, or Anima, as you called it, uh... Because your one costs are sometimes, you know, like six sevens or something. And then now they get returned to your hand. And when they get returned to their hand, they also lose the buff and the Nima. And now you're just left with a one, two and being like, I don't want this. Yeah. Whelmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what we're saying is that the meta is not currently overwhelmed. So we're seeing more Zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because you would think that if Zoo was popular... And if Whelm is as good as we're prescribing, then you might expect some things like come back and like use things like Whelm. But uh, we haven't quite seen that happen yet.
Uh, actually, uh, there's a decent reason for that. Because uh, in the past, we usually run blue with a hot split, right? Because we want more buff and floaters. And hot springs has been really good at, at those. But uh, as, as you guys did, uh, just said, uh, this is a weak against Quem. But uh, in this patch, we are actually seeing more strange based blue, uh, more than hard based blue. And the main reason is that uh, Shogun is such a great card that even if you got Quen uh, in the mid game, you can re establish a very good board because uh, you will trigger the inspire effect of Shogun multiple times. So uh, playing Quen is not enough for Wisdom decks to take the band again back to their hand. They, they need a, a lot of other counterplays to be able to survive into late game when they really have the inability. This is a side note, but I'm just going to put this out there because if this happens, I'm going to be so freaking smug about it. I have been saying since like 2020 now that Inspire effects should probably be once per turn. That's actually interesting, but I guess uh, all, all land players are going to hate Well, you, they right? already do, so... <laughs> Sunk cost. <laughs> to be honest, land is such a interesting card in my opinion. And, and it's kind of sad to see uh, we have uh, 1,200 uh, land games in Five, which is uh, almost... Almost below uh, 0.1%, which is really, really small portion of the meta. So we basically uh, see no no combo decks in Kira meta. But combo decks is really an interesting part of any trading card game. Oh, yeah. Opinion. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it would completely kill Zam in its current form. That's why I'd rework the card entirely. Probably put it something along the lines of the first time or inspire spell dust it to do damage to a random enemy or maybe lowest health or maybe highest health enemy equal to the spell's cost but uh that's not a really here or there i mean you could just rework some inspire cards to be once a turn and even call it a new keyword or something like um you know exalt and you can only exalt once a turn but you can inspire as many times i i think i think it's a really it would be a way to narrow design opportunities if we just said inspire can only happen once a turn see i feel like having inspire open to multiple times a turn i think i like your idea of bisecting it better than just saying one or the other why not just do both yeah duh but uh i think having it where it can be like an infinite number times in a turn potentially has historically led to a lot of uh, random weird abuse cases that weren't really predictable. Like Octavian having a floodwater combo that also heals you to 99 and also takes like 10 minutes for anybody to use. Zam, of course, having his high damage healings has been very potent. Electron had to be nerfed, although I'm not sure if that was really Electron's fault, if it was so much Zam's fault. Uh, there was also a point in this game's history where Avatar of Light, there was some city deck that would just play Avatar of Light, like, twice or whatever. 
<laughs> it would heal up to 99 health, and there was just nothing you could do about it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one of the more exploitable aspects or, or uh, keywords because because of its cascading effect. So one way to to do that would be create another keyword uh, and keep the keep the idea of the card that's strong there but um you know if inspire was only one cards like bloodletter would be complete garbage you, if you do damage to yourself once and you do it, it it's well, yeah. it, it completely destroys the idea of the card and and the idea of zam as well as they exist now i don't think then it has a problem but I'm really surprised that Bacon doesn't mention cards like Frost Maiden or, or yeah. Torque. That's, that's some really nasty card in the mid game. And their, their inspired effect is pretty much a bit uh, overpowered. Yeah, Shogun so... is... Uh, Shogun, I really want Strength to have good units. Because that's like the Prism's whole flavor. And right now it has such glorious options as Grimstone and Emberwolf. But yeah, maybe Shogun is just a tad bit much. I don't really want to nerf anything so immediately. Frostmaiden I also find really obnoxious, especially with how easy it just removes everything from the board, especially with things like Torx and also Sapphire, and also that you get it a second time on Floodwater, so you just can't build a board against water decks. But being able to just kill everything is also kind of in flavor, at least for now. Yeah. Yep, I think that that is something we can say about intelligence and something that frustrates a lot of players as well, you know, you can't there are intelligence decks uh, most notably Intelligence Wisdom which, you know, play play just removal but yeah, that's the thing about you know, card games is you have to find ways to counter and build and it's such a dynamic thing and like we'll analyze the meta every week and we'll we'll show like how people are countering and what isn't working and stuff. So what else what else did you want to go yeah. into, Cytus? Uh, you covered the zoo success rate. Yeah. Uh so we since we are uh uh, just mentioning intelligent decks right now. An interesting fact is that in intellect decks has been dropping in win rate, uh, which uh, doesn't really make sense for me because uh, they have options like it's a trap, uh, fridge blizzard, mass confuse, extinction event, and glitch break, which is all very strong card against loot decks. So when there are so many loot decks in the meta. Uh, these these AOE options should be performing really well, right? So, the the most played in intellect decks such as uh, My Uno and City Zoo and City Death, they they all run is a trap or mass confuse to a certain uh, portion, but they are not they are not really really doing great against uh, strange back. De uh, strange base loot decks. Uh, you know, uh, I have a matchup tabs in my meta matchup that I show the win rate of uh, every archetype against another archetype, right? So from this table, I'm seeing uh, any intellect deck is not performing good against, for example, Horrid Blue and Titan's Aggro, 
which is really, really weird. So uh, it's a pity that we cannot get a full play-by-play -play data from the offshore API right now, but I would really like to know uh, your, your thoughts well, about this fact. about that, you may... Yeah, you may remember this from the conversation that the three of us were having on the Discord a while back, but I've been playing a little something. It's a bit janky. It is a Banjo deck, and I think it actually answers a lot of things in the meta right now. The key things here, it started out as Mono Int because I had a very stupid idea. Hey, what if I just try to play Frenzy on Curve like every game? How good is that? And I put that together, I played a few games, and I went, wait why the hell would I avoid running Whelm? So I went to Banjo, I added like five Wisdom cards, and huzzah, it's a Banjo deck. We have such wonderful options as Incinerate, Germinate, Ivy, Mad Vibes, Frost Maiden, of course, Whelm. All of that is just strong removal. Mass Confuse, and it's a trap on top, of course, with Torx. And then for our top end, we've just got Frenzy and like Big Friend, and that's really all you need. It's performed pretty well, I think, although it's a bit hard to play. I feel like this could actually beat back things. It's very reliant on being able to answer like an early Shogun, which is why we run Incinerate. Then that's one of the things to your question, Cytus, I was gonna bring up is Shogun is specifically uh, it's a trap and Mass Confuse the two strongest Intelligence removals, in my opinion, are specifically bad against Shogun, because Mass Confused won't kill it because it has yeah. higher health than attack. Also, Shogun goes on the left side, and it's buffed by cards that go on the right side. So if you're playing Shogun, you're playing guard units, and It's a Trap only attacks one side. So generally, if you're It's a Trapping, you can either hit the majority of the units, or the Shogun, and it's likely the Shogun has more than three health. So Shogun lives and just keeps getting buffed. Um, and I don't see... And these zoo decks are fast. Like, they they get units out quick. Yeah. And interestingly, in these other decks, Maya and uh, Zoo City and stuff, you don't see Volcanic Potion, because they're also trying to get units out. But... Uh... I guess if if we are playing CT Lu, she should have other options such as micro. Uh, what do you call that? The the spell that's micro swarm. Micro drone. Oh, micro swarm. And you have you have talk, and you have the Onita. So, uh, actually, CT Lu have a decent amount of dash answers, which can probably answer Shogun on turn three or turn four. So, um. They, they shouldn't be relying on It's a Trap and Mass Confuse solely to answer the Shogun. But still, uh, uh, just a side note, personally I play a lot of, of Titus Agro myself, but I, I never run into a CT2. I guess it's not a lot of players out there uh, who still play CT2, unless unranked. So, it's... it's, it's uh, it's the only statistical data that does not make sense for me, actually, that intelligence phase two is have such a poor win rate against strange base. Um, I want to add about City Zoo. I think it is a super, super strong deck, and people who know how to play it really know how to play it and are successful with it. 
um, the problem, I would say, isn't so much right now why people aren't playing it, in my opinion, completely in my opinion, isn't so much the Shogun, uh, the zoo problem. Uh, City Zoo, the way it's built, does not have a good answer to Buster Squire. No. <laughs> and so City Zoo players don't want to go against Metal Fox. And uh, that that's still predominant. And I don't think the win rate's that bad or anything. It's just a, it's just a really frustrating matchup because you, you can get beat really fast. Yeah. Have you guys, like, actually looked... Uh, all of the answers for Buster Squire per Prism. I've definitely looked at uh, Agility's answers. I built a whole Agility deck about killing Buster Squire. <laughs> of course you did. Okay, so I I think I I have always been thinking that uh, City should definitely run both Impel and Mutate right now because both of them kill Buster and. Is a decent removal. Uh, I like. I, uh, to be honest, Mutate is an excellent card against uh, Metal Fox because he uh, the Mutate does not care about armor. But there are so few decks that actually run Mutate, and I can understand for City Do because the cards uh, you you almost never get a chance to play Mutate on one of your units because you have so few units that have more than three heal, so it makes sense. But for for City Death, I really don't know why people don't want to run Mutate in City Death because it's a really good card. And consider the fact that we have so much Buster Square in the meta and also 15% of, of Fox Metal, the card really answered, uh, the card can really answer a lot of early. It should be said threat. that it's not that City and, and don't have um, options, you just named a few good ones. I don't see people playing them. You know, they they play City Zoo how it's always been played because it's one of the oldest decks that I've seen consistently over the metas, and um, it's that that's just my experience. Yeah, I think for City Zoo it makes more sense because uh, if you play an early Soldier, you you really get a lot of value from it. Especially when it hits something with armor, such as Scooter or Scarabot. But for City Death, you don't really need that much value from okay. your soldier, right? Because you should be focusing on getting something like uh, Death Trigger of your old Foggy or Cascade. So you you want to hold units like old Foggy and Cascade in your hand, right? And you don't really want to buff them with soldier. But almost every other, every single city death deck will run Soldier. So that's the point. I, I, I don't definitely really think uh, Impale is the correct card for city death. Yeah, they, they usually run Soldier and Impale. But I think they should have yeah. run Impale and Mutate. So, how do you think uh, about what, this? What? Removal question? I think some people are just uh, a bit scared to experiment. You know, they've got, you know, five cities they've played for the last long time and none of them had Mutate in it. And all of a sudden they're asked to put Mutate in or they want to try it and they're just not familiar with the card. And it takes somebody like Zayu or somebody, um, Funlay or, or Usitis, uh to put it in there and then see the success and 
see how well it's doing and then they start putting it in but i don't know of any huge like influential players that are playing city death right now besides perhaps yeah i know exactly how to describe this let me just put on my game theory political science cap for a quick second and break this down so we this is actually a collective action problem i think consider as an assumption that experimenting with a deck is inherently costly. Players, what are they trying to maximize for? Are they trying to maximize for their win rate? Probably. Are they trying to maximize for minting? Probably, but minting is at least partially a function of your win rate. So we're going to take those things, we're going to say that that's like their incentive. Anytime they're going to like start messing around with cards, that has a certain risk to it. Because, you know, the change could be good, yeah, but it could also be, like, bad. And these players, I'm going to presume, just based off, like, what I've seen. And I've argued against this for a long time because I really don't understand it. I'm just saying what I think is true, not what I understand. But people don't like to experiment with cards. They don't like to deck build. And they are, they seem to be very risk-averse with actually changing their decks. So if you take all of that and all of that is actually true then yeah, it seems like it's much more rational for players to basically sit around, play the same games, and yeah, they may lose a little bit more often, but they don't know that they would do any better if they swapped out Soul Drain for Mutate. Because they're like, ah, I mean, yeah, it does that one thing, but like, what about these other times? And there's not really great ways to like, for a single player to measure that, because you only have your games, you only have what you've seen, and your limited sample size, and your limited draws. But... If they just wait around and wait for somebody else, like Zayu or some other good player, I don't know, to uh, actually do the experiments and they see it, they get the benefits without the cost. They get to know, oh, hey, it'll be better for me to change this card without having to actually be the one to uh, do all the experiments and take the potential hit. Yeah, I think that's put really succinctly. So this is a yeah this is a really interesting topic that I would like to touch it uh, a bit deeper. So as you as we can observe in current Skyweaver community, uh, do you guys think there are so few players that would be interesting in doing experiment? And do you think it's a it's a good for long term gain health? Uh, I mean. Okay, so what do we mean by game health? Because that's, that, that's a very dense word. Because, like, on one hand, you could be talking about, like, the balance of the game as, like, a competitive meta where we're trying to make sure that, like, players of equal skill level uh, basically draw the game as often as possible. Or you could be talking about game health in terms of, like, the profitability of Skyweaver and, like, keeping Horizon as a company together because, you know, if they go under, then suddenly we don't have a game anymore. <laughs> or you could be talking about, like, the community and community interaction. So, like, what are we talking about with game health? Okay, so maybe I, I should give an context. So, uh, I believe every trading card game's meta can sit somewhere between uh, chess games and poker games. So, uh, when I'm asking that question, uh, I'm asking you guys, do you like a uh, trading card game that's more similar to chess games or more similar to poker games? More similar to chess games. I have a predominantly Yu-Gi-Oh! background. I definitely love the mix. I definitely like 
I think, and uh, this isn't something saying that this is not still a skill. I think a lot of great card players in trading card games are good at risk management or at least risk, uh, like how much they can accept risk. Because sometimes the right play is to do something kind of crazy that pays off. And that's something that you see a lot in poker. And you see it in chess in a different way, maybe. But I think that that's important to the game. I still like strategic. I still like, you know, the best player winning. But I want... And, and this is why there are worse players playing poker than there are chess. is because I want, you know, worse players to be able to win, to enjoy, to compete, and to give me something to feast on. You're telling me you don't want to gatekeep the game? No, absolutely not. You want you want the editors to enjoy things, you monster. So, so Frank, I guess you like Good Dog's deck, right? A Good Dog's deck? Which one? Uh, no, yeah, oh, you're the, talking the man. About... The man has made like five. You're going to have to be a little bit more specific. Yeah, Good Dog's got a lot of decks. Uh, you're talking about Cheat City, I mean, though. He, I mean, all almost all the decks he both. Uh, he made recently have some sort of cheating mechanism. I don't think, hang on, point so, of clarification, uh, it wasn't Good Dog who first piloted any of the city cheat things, that was Shengo. Uh, or, no, not it's not Shengo, it's Shapungo who was doing that in, like, fall of 2020 or whatever. Good Dog has predominantly really pushed things with, like, the Banjo Grover stuff and, like, Banjo Rainbow things. And also Nakamoto. And Titus, uh, Twist and Turn. Yes, yes. Yeah. God, I hated that deck. Y'all, Twist and Turn used to be four costs. That card was nuts. Um, alright, I'm gonna answer the question for Cheat. And I'm gonna answer in a way that people aren't gonna like. Yes, I did like that that deck exists. I, ha I did not like playing against it. Boo! Um, Hear, hear me out. Uh, I don't want it to exist. I'm glad it's gone. 100% glad it's gone. But when a deck comes around like that, the problem with a deck like that is it can high roll and just win too much. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's just not a fun gameplay. But if you start to counter it and you're smart enough, you see it in the meta enough, and you can say, hey, I just need to play Righteous on turn four. you know, Or I just need to put... Um, you know, Maelstrom in it, so I put all these small units in his deck, and he can't cheat anything out. You know, if you can come up with uh, one or two things that work in the meta and work especially against that deck, you can sort of attack it, and I think that that's a good part of strategy. And honestly, I don't think that deck was that good. It just had some sick high rolls, and people um, had fun with the sick high rolls. They're like, holy crap, it's turn four, I have a board, I have dominating position... I feel good right now. I feel high right now. And so that's why people liked it. But it wasn't... They, they didn't feel so bad when they lost because they didn't have that huge, like, oh, I, I got it. I did it. Guys, I did it. I win this one. But it, I, I don't feel like it was ever that good. Statistically speaking, no, it wasn't really... Uh, the issue is more so that it kind of... Zayu and I go back and forth on this. He's also of the mind that, like, City cheat is what I'm calling it, by the way. <laughs> that that deck uh, has, like, some fun high rolls, like you've said. But he also thinks, that, like, there's more skill to it. Or not really that there's more skill to it, but that there's less skill to other decks than people think. 
so calling Sidichi uniquely unskillful isn't really fair. Uh, that's his opinion, I think that that is a very wrong opinion, but it is a valid opinion at the very least. You know what card, by the way, is really good against City Cheat? A uh, freaking Whelm. Yeah, of course, Whelm. We're going back to Whelm. Whelm! It does everything, it's so good. Also Forest Fire. Especially, especially Forest Fire, and then they play all their stuff, and then you just Whelm. It's just, you, you saw it, no. <laughs> So basically, you you are going to you are, you are saying an Axel deck, right? Yeah, ac peak Axel beats everything. The issue is that nobody can play peak Axel and come out with their sanity. Yeah, it's it's really a costly deck to your soul to play a lot, and I think I think even if you win ten in a row with Axel, you're still tilted. You know, <laughs> like you're still like, oh my god, I just I didn't play Axel ten times. Oh, I played Asim ten times. Oh, it's still still horrible. <laughs> It, yeah, I, I played Axel for, like, two or three solid patches. It was whenever Fox was just, like, garbage. Hork was garbage. Because, like, we didn't have Scarabot or Buffer yet. So right before that. Bro, I, I was just pissed at the game. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm winning all of these rounds, and I'm still angry. <laughs> Help. <laughs> so, while we are talking about Axel, I want to go a bit off topic here. So, uh, guys, you know, I've, I have been experimenting a new algorithm to gather the average game length. So, I, I want you to guess how long would an Axel games go? Axel mirrors or just your average Axel game against the crowd? Just average, just average Axel games uh, against anything. 21 uh, minutes. 10 minutes. And it can see 10. Oh, I, I guess I probably went if over. You, well, here, okay, hang on, so let me let is... me explain my reasoning before we go through this. That way, if I'm right, I'm more right, and if I'm wrong, I look like even more of a dumbass. It's win-win. I'm going to consider that Axel is very rare in the meta, so Axel mirrors are also going to be exceedingly rare. The meta is very fast, and Axel, if Axel is winning versus any of these aggro or zoo decks, it's probably going to be a game where he, like, played Take Root, and then Gift of Aya, and then probably Gigabloom, and then Whelmed you and then laughs with, like, the turn 10 Comet. And I feel like those winning games are going to happen very fast, so the majority of the field is just going to concede before they get to that point because they don't want to waste their time. I would say that my average game against Axel is 20 minutes because I... It's something weird about me, guys. I don't concede. I, uh... I feel like every game is a teaching lesson or a learning opportunity... And I get more learning opportunities if I play the game till the end. Uh, and so I don't concede. And so my games against Axel are super long. I also don't concede, but that's because I'm spiteful. Well, I guess, <laughs> since you play with it. Okay, so I think Bacon is missing two really important facts. Oh? So first, not every Axel players are good at playing Axel. Oh, so shoot, yeah. When they can win earlier, they don't know how to win. Uh -huh. mm. And there are also a second fact that there are so much players that hate Exo. <laughs> that they rope them? <laughs> yes, they will rope in every game. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Guys, just bully the local Axel player into not being in the meta. <laughs> 
yeah, it really takes a lot of courage to play EXO in Q meta <laughs> because you are not really that dominating as before, and everyone still. <laughs> God, Honestly, I love this I was community. <laughs> I was trying to learn Axel because I like to play all the decks and learn all the decks so I can, uh, you know, cast for things or know or be um, informative when I play against them on stream. And I was playing Axel for a stream, and I had like zero viewers. Nobody wanted to watch me play Axel. Yeah, Fair I was enough. just saying now because I know a lot of people don't know how to play Axel. I would actually argue that I do. Whenever I hop on Axel, out of like my three conquest games I actually finished within the patch, I'll have like a 69% win rate or something. I'm telling you, Axel is very strong. If you want to be good with Axel, you have to be willing every game to say, okay, I will win this game on turn 30. And everything I'm going to do is going to be setting up to win on turn 30. If you cannot do that, do not expect to be the best with Axel because Axel, whenever you're playing his cards in the best way possible, you have to be willing to sit there way longer than your opponent. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. So, well, that's because uh, I'm let right. Let me give you... Okay, <laughs> Mr. White. Okay, so let me give you the number. Ooh. We have uh, around 5,000 Axel games out of 90 so that's actually around uh, 0.5 percent and 200 and sorry 2300 of land are exo wish which is the most popular control deck for exo and the win rate is 55 percent which is a uh, good um, mediocre i guess and again lasts around 15 minutes and 30 seconds on average. Yo, Blank Candle, we like split the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yo! Same brain cell. <laughs> it's the, uh, you know, knowledge of the masses, and the masses are just you and me. Yeah. We are mass. Uh, I did want to say something to your earlier point, that it's, it's kind of getting off the current topic, but back to a previous talk. It, you were talking about sure. um, how it is for the game health where there's only a few people making decks or decks are, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but something about, you know, less deck variety from game makers. Some people don't understand is that that means there's room for deck building in the game, which if you play, you know, Hearthstone at its peak, there are some deck builders out there that know every second of every you know you can't make you can't make a better deck than them you can't make a new deck you can't make something fun and in in skyweaver you can make a deck that does something different that people haven't seen before or that is clever in a new way or that counters in a new way and there's opportunities for players to really get in there and experiment and put mutate in their deck or to try out a different prism combo than they're used to and build something new and learn and you see deck creators like good dog creating all these decks that are really profoundly different than what you expect to play against and i think that that is really healthy for the player base in in a way that it makes the game more fun exciting and all of a sudden you see decks you haven't seen before 
and they can be slightly viable. And part of what makes them viable is that they're so rare. Um, and then you have deck builders like Zayu who are building just optimal decks and people copy and copy and copy them. Then you have your meta and then you counter it. And so the deck building happens um, seamlessly, continually. And there's always an opportunity for a player to bring their own flavor and take into a deck. And I think that that is a really cool thing that Skyweaver has that a lot of other CCGs don't currently, or in my experience, have had. Yeah, that, and I would really like to see uh, more players like Good Dog in the community. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's actually one of the reasons I'm doing the uh, Mono Prison Challenge uh, for this season. So as you can see, almost uh, no one play uh, a seriously mono deck in the past, but uh, uh, you guys probably know that I have great success with uh, Mono Arda last season, and I also shared it on official Discord that, hey guys, I played uh, Ardalu to Grand River and I have 100% win rate. So uh, after that, a lot of players actually tried to play Arda, <laughs> and they, they, they didn't simply copy my deck trend, which is... Uh, uh, I'm really happy about it. Uh, so they are trying to find the weakness of the uh, original other decks that I've been using, and they make their own changes. Uh, and what I what I hope to happen is that they learn how to deck build in the process. And that's also one of the reasons I choose Ada as the first deck because uh, it's easier to build a mono Ada deck. Uh, comparing to something like Mono Lotus, like uh, if you want to build an opti optimal Lotus deck, it's a lot harder than building an other. So, for example, you mentioned uh, uh, Xia 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 Yu uh, X I A Y U. I I, I don't know how you spell it, but it should be Xia Yu. But okay, I so, will simply textinize his name. Okay, so he's been building some really high and wisdom deck that if you uh, haven't tried deck building yet, it's very, very hard to remove a card from uh, his deck and choose an alternative because uh, wisdom decks are generally harder to optimize. So you've seen a lot of, of, of players which just copy Shai's deck and and they don't really have a good performance, and they don't know how to improve, right? Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but that was my observation. So, and besides from my Mono Prison Challenge, I, I actually like uh, Good Dog's uh, creation, such as uh, Titus Tree Center, because it's kind of intuitional to modify the Tree Center deck, right? You can uh, for example, switch away a light unit to for another light unit, and the generic game plan is still play Helsium and then play Tristan Tristan on your Helsium. You just summon something different, so uh, it's less risky to make change in a deck like this because you still have a, a very clear idea of what you are doing. 
but it's maybe not so much in Shari's deck because those are recent decks and they they are control type rather than. I gotta say type. when you when you find these high level players with these decks and you see a card in there and you're like, oh, that's a good card. It's not a good card. It's there for a reason. It does something. There is a there's a point to that being there. So uh, figure out why a player is putting two cards in their deck and what you're supposed to do with it, and you'll be more successful with that deck. Yeah. So that's why I think uh, Titus Tristan is a very good deck to do experiment because what you are going to do with, with the deck is very obvious. You know you are going to play a small unit and you play Tristan to get a big unit. So you can do a lot of experiment, experiment based on this because you know what you are doing and you know what the deck creator uh, think about it. If deck. you just, oh, I got beat by that deck. You know, and then you just go copy deck, play deck. You might not realize that Dream Calling is supposed to bring out Sloth. Like, that's what it's there for, you know? I'm Hi, I'm Dream Calling. I get you Sloth if I can, and everything's cheaper, and you get faster. But if you just copy the deck, and they didn't play Sloth, or if you didn't realize they played Sloth, you might be starting to learn, try to learn that deck without that vital information about why a card is in there. Yeah. But let, let's also descend for City Cheat, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you... If yeah. you just copy that deck, you're, but, you're so confused. <laughs> you know, because there's... There's, uh... there's four units in here. What the hell? <laughs> so you, you got a point here. So uh, besides from covering the deck, they actually have to be uh, beaten by the deck with correct combo. So, so that they know, okay, this deck can, can run this combo and it's really broken. I'm going to run it as well. So then they can learn how to uh, play the deck. Yeah, now that we're talking about good dogs decks, I'm thinking about Grover and I'm trying to think about, you know, not trying to tutor out Grover in the old Grover before the patch, you know, with uh, Cast and Chrome or uh, any way possible, Eldritch Lore into Cast and Chrome into Grover and you get and you're just playing one cost units because you just copied the deck because one of the best players are playing it obviously you know they're, they're not going to be successful yeah because it's a uh, it's wisdom stuff right yeah <laughs> well and that's i think that's good that there's so much variety and and the other thing that's good is that that the, that that higher level play we can call it higher level if you want to i mean that style of play isn't so uh restrictive on new players too you know we have more decks that you just copy and play the best card every turn and you can still win you know it's, you don't have to be overly strategic all the time yeah yeah i will just uh highlight this is part of why it's important for people who are good at the game to produce like content especially like educational content on how to play the game like, uh, like, I write all my articles and stuff that, like, I try to explain things. And also, like, the old meta reports that, uh, Cytus, you've kind of partially taken over now. Although, uh, I'll probably go back to doing those once the patches kind of return for us. <laughs> but, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, it's important that, like, you have those resources that are available to new players. Because, like, it's no fun playing a game if you don't know what the rules are. And, sure, you can know, like, all of the basic mechanics of Skyweaver, but, like, if you don't really know, like, what's going on in the game, yeah, you'll miss all those things. But whenever you have resources that are available where it's like, oh, I can read this thing, 
here's what the top players are doing. Why are they doing it? Oh, oh, shoot, they explain all of it. Oh, so this guy goes with this, and it does all of these wacky fun things. And then, like, you know, it kind of educates players and also, like, pushes the game forward, because now, like, you've got more, like, individual creative minds working on pressing the same meta and seeing where the game goes. I like how you're just saying how important this podcast is in the podcast. I was more so thinking about. I was more so thinking about my own contributions. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. How dare you assume I would think of of anybody other than myself? The podcast is only important insofar as I am relevant to it. We understand. (laughs) He sounded so defeated. No, don't be so sad about that. (laughs) I wasn't. I was. It was this surrendering not defeated and surrendering not because i'm beat but because it's not <laughs> worth fighting <laughs> the word of the day is puric victory this describes a situation where you can win a fight but at such great cost that it's probably not worth doing <laughs> yeah that's our, our analysis of uh playing axel mix wish for 15 minutes yes <laughs> puric axel <laughs> Uh, so, since we are talking about the, how these content creators affect how, the way players play, and I have a uh, personal interesting question for you, Bacon. Oh? Uh, so, as, as you might have known, uh, Good Dogs has been uh, pretty actively streaming uh, recently, and uh, most, uh, most of the time, he is playing one of his creation on his train, and he's, he had a decent amount of viewers, if I remember correctly. So uh, from my statistical data, I see that uh, there's actually not a lot of players playing uh, good dogs creation, but rather a lot of players are playing the Horrific Dick deck, which I believe is your creation. Yes, yes, let me hear it. But 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 as uh, as far as I concern, you 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 have not you have not been streaming, and the article you wrote, which is uh, uh really good, I I would admit, but there are just too many texts on the wall, so I don't believe a lot of players are going to actually read it from the beginning to the end. So how do you, how do you think why there are so many players? Who like to play horrific dick. Uh, first off, I'd like to go back. Article? Are you talking about like the horrific dig article? Uh, uh, just generic uh, article from you. They are all long, right? Uh, if you're talking about the horrific dig, I don't know if I had you like proofread that one or not. But that one is not out yet. It will be coming out uh later this month. I've got one other that's coming out before okay. that one. But uh. What well, what was the question? Why are people like not playing Horik Digwell? Oh uh, no! Uh, uh, why is, there are so many players who is interested in playing Horik? Ah, because it's a hard it's it, it's a hard deck in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> it's not it's not easy to survive till the Lagan when you really have an, an advantage. But they are still playing the deck despite the fact that. Most of the time, they just lose on turn 5 or turn 6 because they are playing nothing to answer the uh, very fast meta. 
but they are still playing it. Anyway. Yeah, I have an so, answer, but let's let Bacon give his answer first. Yeah, so first off, brief history. I've been kind of playing almost exclusively Horic Dig for, I'd say, like the past three or four months. I've been uh, putting it together for quite a while because I really like Horic's late game options. I think cards like Titanic and Buffer and Pharaonus and Undragon, and as much as I hate watching it immediately die, Dracomantium, like, Horch has a lot of really cool late game options, and the introduction of Scarabot to the Heart Prism actually gave Horch some really cool things that he can do in the late game. So I've been working on that for quite a while. More recently, Zayu has actually been working on stuff with me. Uh, him and I ran into Conquest about a month or two ago, and I was working on the deck. I'm like, hey, what do you think? He's like, oh, hey, this is actually, like, pretty neat. I'm gonna work on it. The meat and bones of the deck is that whenever you really get rockin' and rollin', you are just playing very disgusting combos, like, turn after turn. But it still feels like a very fair-centered deck, because you're doing, like, oh, my turn five is Root Hog. My turn six is Chromiosaur. My turn 8 is Ancient's Rise. And you're not really doing any of these, like, wacky city cheat combos. You're not trying to obliterate your opponent with just massive damage from things like Buster Squire or Drillbot. So you've kind of, like, got all of that going for you. At the same time, I don't know how many people this is true for, but I despise playing mirror matches. This is why, even though Fox is, like, really good right now, I'm not playing Fox. I don't like matching up against somebody else and going, hmm, yes, we are holding the same cards. So I always like to play something different. I'm sure that's part of it. I'm pretty sure Zayu playing it has probably also gotten people's attention. I don't know if he's brought it on stream or not. And also, it is just, like, a really fun deck. Like, you get to play massive, like, dinosaurs. That is inherently cool. You get the Big Daddy Undragon. That's fun. You have, like, Ancient's Rise and Cosrath in the same deck, and you're like, ah, I'm holding all of these monster cards. Who cares if I die 20% of the time in, like, the opening hand? I get to play dinosaurs, so, like, it's just fun. That's a very, that's a very irrational answer, and I'm sure you don't like it that much, but honestly, I am playing Horic Dig, like, 35% because it has really big units in it, and I like to do that. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and throw in my answer and please don't mistake this answer by me calling it a low skill deck because it is not a low skill deck <laughs> here it is though but it just beats some decks so like you can be playing a lot and losing a lot and you throw in Hork dig all of a sudden you're winning some you know like there's there's just matchups that Hork dig just wins that is very true, but those matchups are not super popular in the meta right now. Yeah, that's okay. true, too. So, like, anything that has burn, Horik really doesn't like because his options are slow. And his healing... He has a couple really good, like, bursty healy options. Like, a uh, Light Ranger into Beloved is just nutty. Boron's Ethos. I've been running Carrion Crow with Wed Dead for ramping. Ethos is pretty handy because, like, you know, 3 mana heal 6, that's pretty good. But most of his other things are, like, either small amounts of healing or their lifesteal, which basically means that your unit gets removed and you don't get any healing. So those burn things are not great for it, but, like, Zoo decks, I think, are a pretty, a very good matchup for Horik. Because, like, as long as you don't get rolled by, like, turn 4, you can just start curving things like Root Hog. Oh, you played your Gift of Kai. Okay, cool. Second chance, Root Hog. What now, loser? 
And yeah, then just, yeah, precisely. Just, and, and that's why yeah. it's good in this meta, because we're talking about how Zoo is dominating the meta, and I think Hork is strong against Zoo. Yeah, I've been playing pretty much entirely Conquest, so I'm not as familiar with the ranked meta. In Conquest, Hork isn't quite as fun, but if Zoo is just everywhere, yeah, Hork has got great things for Zoo. He's got Chainstorm. Chill is a perennially slept on card. He's got Impale, Strike Down, Earth Spike if you really need it, just for answering Buster Squire. You can do like the Zayu thing, which is Sick Burn plus Forest Fire to just cover your early game, and sometimes you drop like Undragon or Buffer to pick up on Rise. He's got a lot of like things that don't really look that strong, but they just have good math behind them. So they just like can really work out against certain decks. I have to be honest. That's, that sounds a uh, city cheat for me to a certain degree. It would be, except it's like, doing it's like all of its really nasty stuff is like turn eight, turn ten, turn ten. If you really want to do stupid stuff with Horik, you play Chromiosaur on six. You play Jar Souls on seven. So you've got like two stacks of Chromiosaur. You just do whatever you need to survive the next few turns, and in turn ten, you can straight up play Dracomantium into Pharaonus, which will have lead from the casting chrome. Yep. Yeah. I love doing that. It is so, so this evil. This is exactly what I said about City Cheat. It makes people feel high. They love doing it. That's why it's good for the kids. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I'm doing this on like, I'm doing this on like turn ten, not turn three. <laughs> And also, my Dracomantium dies to encapsulate. Endorphins. Okay, okay, I mean, human. You still play. You play. You still play second chance into Root Hog on turn, turn five. Yeah. Right. Well, not ancient That's rise. Kind of second chance. Against, yeah, I mean, I mean, second chance. Yeah. That's cheating against Root. Uh, it's frustrating. It, um, they have but that's, that's their the one thing, thing is... in Gift of Kai. What's your worst matchup? Um, probably the really Bernie Fox decks. Horik has got good removal. It's not like top tier removal. He doesn't have banjo style removal, but he has like just generally good removal tools. Like Hyperbeam is a pretty good card. Strike Down is very good on tempo. It pulls him a lot in the aggro matchup. Sunder is probably one of my favorite cards in the game because it basically feels like a oh you cheated. Let me just bonk you spell. But uh, burn decks are notorious for not really putting a lot of units on board. And when they do, it's things like Psyche, Buster, Zumi. So Hork, all of Hork's like, good removal tools kind of just go offline. And Fox has really good removal tools too. So they basically just like ransack you for the first five turns. And then you can't block any of the damage for the rest of the game, and so they can go, okay, I may have no board control, but on turn 6, I'll play Catch. On turn 7, I'll play Maelstrom. And then on turn 8, I'll play Cosrath. And you'll probably just die by something at that point. And so, Hork can't really defend against that. And I'll add that, um, you know, Roothog sometimes doesn't work against some of those decks too, because you're maybe running Zero or Honor Guard or... Um, you know, heavy cavalry or something like that, and yeah, that, Fox that can be Metal, an issue. Fox Metal is pretty hard. I want to say that Hork can probably go even against it if you build entirely for Fox. 
you have to cut a decent bit of your top end, and frankly, I just haven't been willing to do that because I really like playing my top end cards. <laughs> It'd probably be better to do so. But uh, yeah, Buster Squire is a big annoyance for Root Hog because it invalidates it, and then also ends up generally just trading through Root Hog. Righteous is really annoying for it, especially because like it slows down things like Ancient's Rise or Jar Souls. I've had to start running Steam Knight entirely to deal with Righteous, which is, eh, he's all right on Ancient's Rise. I mean. Steam Knight is Steam Knight. It's going to do Steam Knight things. He's not the best off of Jar of Souls, but also whenever they start like getting those buffs from like uh, Glorious Main, if they happen to get like the turn five nurtured bond or whatever, like you're just done for because Horik does not have hard removal like you'd expect him to. Yeah, so like Fox Burn, Fox Metal, City Death, I think can go even against if you want to tech for city death you can definitely beat her because Horik has got good like disruption tools but with city death and fox metal both being prominent in the conquest meta it's a bit hard to answer both uh, so i i am looking at the win rate table right now and what i saw is horrid dig is uh worst against mirawell which uh kind of makes sense because uh, you you kind of don't want to play Roothog into anything with Anima. So uh, do you have chance to play against Mira Will in Conquest? Uh, yeah, I actually have. You want to know what you do against Mira Will? Yeah, yeah you play Roothog as early as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds counterintuitive, but consider most of their like good anima triggering options like they tend to be like wide things right like you've got like your force field that you can find off of light ranger or you're like ripping them out with school of fish or rodent problem or whatever if you play root hog extremely early you probably only hit like one or two units and in the very early game whenever stuff like cobalt has happened or like the cobalt casting chrome usually you can just end up rooting stuff that like already triggered their anima or they don't really, it wouldn't be smart for them to try and like go for the combo yet because like they want to keep developing board. But you also set yourself up for like the very late Ancient's Rise because then whenever you root their board, they've kind of already spent a lot of their like good triggering resources so they can't really swing it back as easily. And even if they do, your root hog is a 5 8 with shield and you've got two other units, probably Carrion Crow if you're running my build or Old Fogey if you're running Zayus. And then hopefully something like uh Lemurray or Steam Knight to kind of control board but by that point in the game you can kind of control things better. Mira Will I don't think is actually too bad for Horik. I suspect most people are running like Flame Phoenix which I think is a garbage choice for the deck but Zayu swears by it so they're probably slowing themselves down from that but I think Horik's like removal options line up pretty well against Mira Will. Um, Cytus, you had a Mirror Will that I played for a while, uh, that I was a huge fan of, and it, it's an interesting one, because it doesn't run a lot of those traditional things, like you said, uh, specifically, like, oh, yeah. School of Fish, it doesn't run Rodent Problem, it doesn't run Light Ranger, it doesn't even run Force Field at all, um, that's, that's a very interesting matchup uh, against, and it, it really, that deck is super good, but you can low roll with it. And you can also 
get high rolled against. Does that make sense? Like, you can low roll, but you can also get into situations where you're low health, but you have you have the board, you have everything, you're perfectly set up, and cause wrath. In snare, you know, or something like you could just you, you're down to seven health, and all of a sudden they got seven burn, and you're just dead, you know. Oh, uh, even though you're you finally got equal, you already you have everything set, you're you're done for. Um, but I I really Cytus's will check that out. Yeah. So the concept of that deck is that uh, if you are playing against a very fast deck, uh, it it could be the best play to not play Amaruas well, yeah. actually. Yeah, because it, it's really hard to do to, uh, complete board control with, with this deck, uh, consider it's running a lot of beefy low-cost unit. And it, I, I'm even considering cutting Lapping Micronia for something uh, more defensive. Yeah, and uh, if, if you are losing by Burnsville, I guess you are playing against Fox, for example. Yeah, well, every time. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be an example. It can be exactly. So, okay, so so Fox Hyper, I guess. Um, you know what I found works best for Fox Hyper? I, I, and I still think I had a positive win rate with this deck. I, I, I was just talking about when it doesn't work. But um, when, yeah. I, when I play Fox, I would try to um, get... Get out, um, you know, Shogun, which we've talked about earlier. Shogun and do all that kind of stuff pre-will and get out guard and do do a bunch of stuff. And then make sure I get Will out around the time I got Rumbo out. Because uh, Rumbo with Will, basically, every whenever I got that, Fox would just concede. Like, consistently concede. Yeah. They can't do anything. Yeah, you cast in Chrome and they yeah. concede. Yeah, the issue is letting yes, them the... is letting Rumbo go off. <laughs> I mean, the deck is pretty good at defense early turns. So, uh, unless you got really really bad draws, uh, you should be able to deliver the Rumbo even against Fox Hyper. But uh, Frank, you are right. If if you are really uh, low rolling with the deck, it can it can die to burn even more easier compared to something like City Zoo or, or Zoe, for example. So it's not a very stable deck, but uh, the reason I li like this kind of deck is then as, as Bacon like his holistic deck, because I just want to play my combo and I don't care if I lose 20% of the game. If anyone who's listening wants to see any of the exact decks we're talking about, go ahead and hit me up, uh, blank handle on the Discord, um, and I will share all of the decks with you. Um, I can be found very easily in the Discord. I'm active every day. Just letting you know, because you, I, I, you're hearing about Scythus as well, and you're like, I've never found it. What is it? If you want to hear, want to find the deck code, um, I don't know how to post it on a podcast, but I will post it um, for anyone who asks for it, just so you know. Yeah, Horik Dig will be coming out uh, later in January. I've got the draft done. It basically just has to for get formatted, and we've just got to, like, upload it. But, like, it's currently sitting at 20 pages. Y'all, it's, it's going to be great. I'm starting a new series with it. Uh, definitely check it out when that comes out. Jeez Louise. 
<laughs> I have so much to say, Blank Handle. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. I will just click his article and find the death string and copy-paste it and be done with no. it. No, I'm not gonna, please. I'm going to read into please, it. <laughs> I've spent hours. <laughs> Help. I love how you're going to go into school and you're going to be like, I wrote my thesis and it's just going to be <laughs> analysis of Horik Dig. Yeah. Bacon, do you, do you know there's literally no players that click I, I accept and read the turn of use, but they they just never read it. And do you know why? Um, because there there are twenty pages, and I'm not going to read twenty pages of of text when I'm playing again. Well, I'll read it. Sounds like don't, sounds don't like Citus. Yeah, yeah. Citus has a skill issue. That's all. That's all there is to it. He's too good. He doesn't need to read all that stuff. I need to read it because I'm bad. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> I try to write. I try to write things that are like accessible for like new players, so like anybody should be able to read it and understand things. But also discuss like higher level concepts, so even advanced players like can find something interesting in there. Citus, you should read my stuff. I I actually read your uh uh what do you call it introduction to each individual person, and I kind of because you are going on specific card right, so oh another reason could be uh I'm playing a lot of mono decks but uh you mentioned uh the design concept on specific cards which I really like but uh, there's there's no insights on how to build a complete deck with those cards and that would be something I like to see as a player huh. so for example like uh, if you are going into Shogun and maybe you can mention uh, like uh, for example 10, 10 guard unit and Maybe say you can try to uh, build a backbone from these ten cards into a guard deck, something, something. I believe uh, a lot of players would be interesting to read something like this because while I think the uh, concept aspect and and draw wise information is pretty good, but it's not really uh, that much a thing for the current. Skyweaver community, since um, I guess ma majority of players still focusing focusing on the gameplay aspect right now, or maybe that's what you try to do. You try to switch their attention from pure gameplay to to lore or. Some I'm concept. a lore based player. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I, I play cards just because they fit together in the lore. I'll be like, all right, we gotta have. Mother Ithra and Light Ranger on the same, or whoever. Yeah, I I play my decks for like their aesthetic value. Yeah, like Buster Squire about, like... is always on the same deck as Piper, as Engine Blade. So, oh, that's they gotta be together. <laughs> my lore based deck building. Lore based deck, I love that. Yeah, Cytus, I want to say 
I want to defend and say that, like, I've kind of already got that to a degree with, like, the, like, specific decks. But, uh, I have been kicking around, like, a how to deck build article for a while. But, uh, there's a push-pull between how advanced things are and how, like, usable they are. And also, like, actually knowing, like, what kind of content players want and what they like. Especially with, like, the community. So I've tried to play, like, safer bets so far. And at least, like, wait until, like, I have a bit more stuff going on to actually roll out. Like, okay, here's how you deck build. Because, like, on the surface, deck building, that sounds like, oh, yeah, that's super great. That's such, like, a helpful thing. And, yes, people really need to know how to deck build. But deck building is also, like, a very complicated thing. <laughs> that would probably be, like, a 30-page article all things considered. <laughs> if I wanted to do, like, the concept justice, maybe it'd have to be in two parts, or maybe it'd have to be, like, a beginner's guide to deck building. But, uh, then I'm also kind of kneecapping the more experienced players. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing new for you here. Sorry, better luck next time. Uh, I mean, your article is, is already a bit complicated no yeah yeah it's good i mean there, there are players of every uh skill level and if a new player comes in and they're super interested their skill skill levels go up very quickly you know i mean it took yeah. me months to to get anywhere decent at this game and i'm still getting better but months isn't that long in a ccg man you know like People people read your article now and they don't understand it, but maybe in a couple months they'll get it. And, you know, maybe people who already are really advanced don't need it. But I think that there's a good – it's not good to just um, dumb down your writing because then someone who's intermediate doesn't have a use for it. You know, I don't know. I don't know if exactly this is what we're talking about. I got kind of distracted. It, yeah, yeah, that is. I also – yeah, I don't know if this is the best strategy, but it's what I've been doing with all of them. I try to make content that's, like, lasting. Yeah. Because, like, it, something that I really dislike whenever, like, I try to get into, like, a new game or something or whatever is, like, having to find out, like, what the correct version is. Like, uh, I really enjoyed, like, shooters for quite a period. That was in, like, my high school days or whatever. But the fact that, like, anytime you try to get into a new shooter, you have to, like, make sure that you're on the right patch. Or you'd find, like, YouTube content, especially, which is also generally made by people who don't even know what they're talking about. But you find that stuff, and then, like, you have to actually cross-reference, okay, is, like, the date correct? Have these, like, guns changed? Has, like, the loadout happened? Is, like, the meta different now to where even though this hasn't changed, it still isn't good? So I try to talk about stuff that, like, also... Like, it's important to talk about a specific meta. Like, I think that it's very crucial to understanding the game. But you also need to understand, like, the why and all the inner workings beneath things. Otherwise, you aren't actually educating and helping players. I mean, informing them is still good. But I would like people to actually be able to read my articles and then get better at the game. I think it'd be good for, like, you know, there's more good players at the game. The game progresses. It becomes a better game because you have better players. Yeah, I think I think all... We need all types, you know. We need uh, yeah. articles that uh, address the wider picture that can always be referenced and say, hey, go back to just Ed Bacon's article on the Strength Prism. 
that's still relevant but you don't want to say oh yeah watch you know four months ago's meta snapshot doesn't really it's not useful yeah but there's also a bit of a problem with that approach because like in some of the more recent articles like i try to highlight certain specific cards and i'm like oh these things are good because for example uh take buster squire uh this card is an efficient answer to buster squire so as long as something like buster squire is strong in the meta then this card becomes like a reliable and relatively safe early game hold against a strength prism well that example is great and all but that only makes sense so long as buster squire is like actually good and relevant if like we had a patch you just have to add a picture of the current Buster Squire because you know, people understand that cards get changed in patch, and and the cards that get talked about the most in articles and things, those are the cards that get changed the most because the ones that are broken, messed up, or don't work right are the ones that get changed, and yeah. those are the ones that people talk about. So it's just uh, important to give context in those situations because um, just saying, you know, you could even not use a card's name. Just saying, imagine a card that does this here and people who know know and people who don't know know don't know well that's actually why i like fox familiar so much yeah it, I, it's I talked like, to coulter he's he's nerfing it i will slay you he's giving it hex instead of fury <laughs> you have 24 hours to make amends <laughs> with your loved ones but yeah uh ignoring that uh, Fox Familiar is, like, a beautiful unit, and, like, it kind of describes a lot of, like, that problem that we were just talking about. Like, you have, like, those base things that are just, like, kind of fundamental. Did you see the new card that uh, was released today? Um... Yeah, Skyfire Fox. Yeah, well, it has Supersonic on it, and it gives air and fire cards plus one plus one, so you Supersonic into Fox Familiar, you're going to end up with a, what, 3-5 Fox? Uh-huh. Well, it's not just Fox Familiar. The odds of having the Fox Familiar come off of that Skyfire Master are pretty rare. In Heatwave Depends builds, on the And deck. I will I will mention Heatwave. Well, you're not If you're playing like Hyper or something and you're running Supersonic, the odds of you actually hitting Fox Familiar off of Supersonic are rather low. The odds of any given cert member of your 30 card deck with a 7-card opening hand, are 22.17. With a 8-card hand, I want to say it's like closer to 25 or something. Let me but out of those, you th hang on. You then have to divide that by however many 1-cost units are still left, and the odds are not great. But Heatwave, and I will say this, because Hex Primalon is also around, can like hit the Supersonic in the Fox Familiar like in 1 out of 5 games. But, uh... You can also put that with, like, the bees from uh, Swarmzinger, and you get really good value from that. I just want to say, I'm currently playing a deck that runs only Saber and Fox Familiar as one cost, and I run Supersonic, and if I am in the mulligan, I will keep Saber, I will keep Supersonic, and I will not keep Fox Familiar. So it's actually quite, quite common for me to get it. And if you build a deck around wanting to get fox familiar off supersonic you can do so with some not a hundred percent or anything close to it but some regularity yeah i just 
I I'm curious what, like, the odds of that are, so I'm pulling up the, uh, handy-dandy geometric calculator. Oh, wait, it's not geometric, it's hyper... Hyper-geometric calculator. Yeah, uh, those of you in the audience who don't know, if you want to, like, figure out the probability of, like, a specific opening hand or something, this is how I, like, mathematically spilt out on Google Doc why City Cheat was just nutty. Because, like, out of all of its possible opening hand configurations, like, some over 50% of them were just, okay, by turn four, you have, like, a warthog. Wartlock, Puppet Master, Pharaonis with like a 4-4 Hydrex, or just some such nonsense. But uh, yeah, you can just Google like a hypergeometric calculator, uh, click on like the first one that comes up, it's very easy to use and all of that. But yeah, your Supersonic Saber Fox Familiar, that's cool, because like even your low roll with that, you're hedging against drawing Fox Familiar early, because you can get that Saber in the Supersonic, which is like a little cute bit of spot removal. That's but, uh, what the, the deck's built around spot removal. Anyway, I just want to say uh, I'm glad we've we've been talking this whole time and we have more to say and we obviously have more to say, but we're at an hour and a half or so yo. and um, we we're, good thing we have more content because we're gonna be back and doing this podcast every um, every week I think so we'll have more to talk about next time because we are I don't want to keep everybody all all the captive for the first episode and then not have stuff to talk about we have plans on doing more things and talking about specific cards and their pros their cons what we like about them what we don't like about them actually going over mulligan situations and saying why we go with mulligans we want to talk about some basic and advanced strategy um today we only really got to cover some um personal information as well as some really in-depth stuff about the meta uh i want to give everyone a chance to give like a little five minute wrap up for Citus and Bacon um, to to say the, the last couple things they want to say, but I don't want to just have one really long episode and then work our way down. Um, I think we've been doing uh, having fun so far. Citus, go first. Uh, so uh, I guess the reason I would like to join this program is basically because uh, uh, I like to get a, a lot of numbers and work on land, but uh, doing this is not meaningful if we don't get the most use or from the numbers. So um, uh, currently I don't have the uh, authority to do a lot of stuff with the meta snapshot. For example, um, the horizon step decides what message come with the meta snapshot. So for example, this week, uh, JD was posting posting the meta snapshot number two for patch 105. And uh, he wrote like, uh, we have the 33,000 rank gang gathered and STR present continue to dominate the meta and so on and so forth. These messages are what we uh, uh, I gave them when I hand the meta snapshot. And they don't really post everything I gave them. So if something is considering uh, considered too too negative for them, they might not post it. So uh, there's a limited thing I can do with the meta snapshot. So um, with the table, uh, all I can give to all the Skyweaver community is the numbers. 
But by joining this podcast program, uh, I got a chance to discuss with uh, some of the most active and intellect players in uh, current Skyweaver community. So I'm I'm really happy to have a chance to. I do love that. I love so, it. Citus is basically saying this is my platform for truth, and I will be giving you the hot takes on Sky Sessions. This, this is where you come for the real information. The man is hiding the information from you. Come to Sky Sessions. I'm going to give you the numbers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if there are additional uh, numbers or any kind of aspect you would like to see from the Meta snapshot, you can just hit Brand Candle on, on main Discord, and I'm pretty sure he will discuss uh, what whatever you told him with us, and we will be able to... De- deliver even better content for you next week and in the future. Okay, so that's the that's all from me. Yeah, uh, I'll just say that like I'm really happy to be here. I've uh, tried to get involved with content creation things for a bit. I've dabbled in a good number of things. Before anybody ask, no, I do not stream. I am on a MacBook. The MacBook will literally explode. But uh, I won't lie, Blank Candle approached uh, both of us for this. And it was very cool because, like, you know, I get another way to, like, kind of spread the word to the community and, like, help out with things. Uh, start a track record of, like, my hot takes now. I've got a good number of them. Blank Candle, so I'm you wanna, sure you wanna... you've noticed. Be able to reference this. You see, episode three, I said this is exactly what was going to happen. In episode one, I predicted this change. It may have taken four years, but it has happened. Eventually, I am always right. I did predict the Frost Adept nerf like seven months in advance. Just saying. <laughs> but, uh. I guess you can make, make uh, a thousand predictions and call you're always right one year. Yes. <laughs> I simply predict everything. Okay. Not in the sense of everything that's happened I've predicted, but everything that could conceivably happen, I will predict. So that way, whatever has happened has been predicted by me. That's uh, flawless yeah. logic. It is. I am. Um... So that's basically why you are doing the why you are doing the patch bingo every time, and you just put everything <laughs> on your your bingo <laughs> simultaneously, everything and nothing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let us know what type of content y'all like and want to see with this. Uh, tell us if, like, Cytus should talk more, or, like, if I should talk less. I probably won't listen to that last one, but it'd be good to know anyways. <laughs> and I think that's about all I have to say. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us on the first one, guys. And let us know what you think. Uh, easiest way is just to get a hold of me on... Discord, if you're not on Discord, I can receive messages uh, through Discord. I don't know. I'm not really anywhere else. Email? I don't have an email. Anyway, uh, but not just me. Cytus and just had Bacon are on Discord, too. Um, hit, hit me up and um, or on my stream. You can you can get me directly on my stream on Twitch. Twitch uh, backslash blank handle. Wait, blank handle. You have a stream? Yeah, man. I... Uh, it's uh, it's a hobby. Bang, bro, that's so cool. I had no idea. I think I'm not. I'm definitely not 
the top streamer. I think I have the most hours in of anybody. Um, I just I just shotgun approach it and just stream all the time. Um, For the, but, those of you who don't know, I was literally on his stream a few days ago. Yeah. <laughs> I You know, I did not put it past you to have been so out of it that you forgot where you were so i was just i was just going with <laughs> trusting you <laughs> just said bacon may or may not know where he is at any given time so like i'll just i'll just put this one past him i'll just like smile and nod uh, thanks man you, you you really get me apparently uh i see what i see in myself and everyone else and i often <laughs> do not know where i am <laughs> All right, well, get us out of here then. All right, cool. Uh, catch us next time. Um, we'll come up with a release schedule and post that available for everybody. Yeah, see you all in Sky. See you in Sky. Uh, see you.